This episode is sponsored by High Grade Hemp Seed. For the best in hemp seed genetics, including the ready-to-ship Matterhorn CBG, visit HighGradeHempSeed.com. Hello, Texas, and welcome to In the Field. I'm your host, Zachary Maxwell, president of Texas Hemp Growers, the association representing the greatest group of growers in the greatest state of the union. And for the next hour, we're going to explore the world of hemp. I'll be joined this episode by Dr. Calvin Trossel, head hemp researcher for Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service. We'll talk about his journey into hemp, the challenges that he predicts that growers are gonna face this year, and his plans for statewide hemp variety trials. I want to recognize the sponsor of today's episode, High Grade Hemp Seed. Talk about a great company. We've been working with High Grade Hemp Seed since December when they allowed us to come out and visit their facilities. That type of transparency up front is so necessary in the hemp seed genetic game. And what better company to do business with in your field than a company like High Grade Hemp Seed that's producing such varietals like cherry wine and berry blossom and of course the Matterhorn CBG. We're seeing CBG really pick up steam this year in a lot of fields and we're very excited to have the support of such a great company like High Grade Hemp Seed. And so later in this episode, we're going to talk to Adrian Zelski. He's a managing partner there at High Grade, and we're going to talk with him more about their opportunities that they're seeing in the field this year. So hold on to your hats for that one, folks. But what we are seeing right now as we jump into our third episode is a slow reopening of our country. Coronavirus has just been ravaging the agriculture industry, the whole entire economy for this matter, but particularly our agriculture, in, our, our agriculture industry. And when I read these articles and see the headlines and watch the videos about farmers having to destroy and plow in entire crops or having to euthanize entire livestock. I'm reading about this all day today and it's just tearing me up from the inside and and to know that our growers in the industry right now, the people that are the lifeblood of Texas economy and really the United States and even the world economy, to know that, that right now that they're struggling, it, it, it tears me up. It burns me inside. And, and when we think about this, this crop that's coming online right now, this, this hemp crop, it's giving some of these growers hope. And so being able to be there with them as this first season is rolling out this year is truly a blessing. And I couldn't be more excited to be surrounded by such committed Texans uh, that are ready to just get this season off the ground, to put this whole virus season behind us and move forward with this industry. Uh, there are folks chomping at the bit right now, just wanting to get into him and make this work. And Texas, Texas is the state that will make him work. Make no mistake about it. So 
I'm glad you're here with me today. This is episode three of In the Field. And of course, we're going to be joined today by some awesome guests. One thing that I wanted to point out that you might have uh, caught on to is that we have recently introduced some updates to our website. So if you go to hemptx.org right now, you're going to see that our website has actually evolved into a social media ecosystem. One of my foundational goals with Texas Hemp Growers is to be a connection, to be the bridge between points in this industry. If we can link the chains together, then there's ability for a lot of folks to change their lives with this crop. And so the new Texas Hemp Growers website, which it's free to join, but we love you if you join as a member, you get a lot of really cool stuff if you do that, but you can still join the website for free. We've got groups on there. You can post updates, photos, share links, information. We want hemptx.org. I want hemptx.org to become the ecosystem through which hemp growers and processors and manufacturers and retailers and even consumers are all able to conduct business and learn and communicate. So if you haven't signed up for that, it's really easy to do. You get involved in a network that allows you to connect. And that is moving us forward as an association in order to do that. And of course, I hope while you're there, you'll consider joining Texas Hemp Growers because that type of support allows us to continue uh, uh, programming and education and advancing the cause of hemp in this community. I, and by the way, I hope that the, the audio maybe is coming through a little clearer. I'm using a, uh, a slightly improved mic today. And so we're, we're making small improvements over here. Got the, the headphones on as well. We're, uh, we're going to be full on studio here before too long. Watch out, Texas. But before we get there, we have to first talk about some news. So, we saw the first batch of lot permits come out this weekend, and it even appears they came out on Saturday. I mean, kudos to TDA, working overtime through this virus remotely, and they're pushing out these lot permits. Obviously, this is a big deal for our growers because even though you have your license, you still cannot plant into the ground until you have that lot permit. And so to see that the state has moved ahead with this and that they are uh, already issuing lot permits out there puts Texas growers pretty much on the best case scenario that we could have hoped for this year, which is to be able to get into the ground, hopefully by the second half of May, maybe even June at the latest. And with Texas incredibly diverse climate, we can expect a number of different scenarios in this state. And I really hope that today when we have Dr. Trossel on here, he can shed some insight on what we might expect out there in the field this year. Of course, if you get on our Facebook group, Texas Hemp Growers on Facebook, we have over 1,800 followers there. If you get on there, there's a big debate raging about who has lot permit number one. Of course, I don't have that answer but it would be very interesting to know. I'm sure they probably took that and framed it up, put it on the wall, knowing that they're lot number one, but they were in fact numerically numbered 
in that fashion. And of course, people have been in our group sharing their photos of receiving their lot permits. And uh, some people have, have reported that maybe there's some errors that are showing up on the lot permits. Maybe TDA transcribed something in the application or perhaps the person that uh, submitted the application maybe transcribed something. And so the good news is that TDA is working very vigorously through that. And, and my understanding is that it's, it's nothing more than just a simple call over to TDA uh, in order to get that worked out. And if you missed it, by the way, last week we had Commissioner Sid Miller on our podcast and he shed some light on the industry and what he expects coming forward in that. You can obviously find us on the major podcasting services out there, but it was a great episode and worth looking at. And so with lot permits going out, obviously it's very exciting time in Texas and it should be interesting to see what happens. One thing though, is that Panda Biotech is at it again. They're at it again, y'all. You heard me talk about Panda last week, Panda Biotech. Somebody jokingly told me earlier this week, oh, I wouldn't want to have, have Panda in my name right now. And uh, uh, the, the irony behind that was that I had just picked up some Panda Express. So, you know, between a full mouth, I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Panda Biotech has released some more information that came to us this week. And I thought that this was interesting because somebody sent us a message asking if there was any truth to it. And I hadn't heard it, but here it is, an email that was forwarded to me earlier this week that was sent out by Serge Salinas, the senior vice president over at Panda Biotech. Now, you may remember last week I talked about this because they announced that they had gone into a contract with a hemp decorticating manufacturing company in order to create potentially what would be the largest hemp decorticator in the world. Now, earlier or really late last year, Panda came out with this news about they were going to be building this giant facility in shallow water. And of course, our discussion last week centered around the fact that that's actually not happening anymore. But they are still searching. According to the reports out there, they have narrowed it down to three, three areas in the High Plains Panhandle region. And it should be interesting to see how that goes. Because this email right here that was sent to me says that they are by May 1st, that would be Friday, they are expected to begin donating more than 60 tons of what it says in this email is approved hemp seed to Texas agriculture producers. 60 tons of industrial fiber and grain seed that they are just going to donate onto the market this year with the expectation that farmers receive it for free, they grow it in their fields, and they report the data back to Panda Biotech. Now, what you might have missed in that is that that is not a buyback program. So Panda is effectively just throwing free seed out onto a market that is already rife with growers that are upset about feminized plants being pollinated. And you have Panda Biotech without even having a facility up and running is offering farmers free seed. Now let's be clear, at 60 tons, do the math. It's very obvious that the seed cost is not the problem in fiber production. 
it is the processing that is the problem. The, the industrial seed is cheap. It's cheap, cheap. Being able to get industrial off the ground, finding farmers to grow it, it will not be a problem. It will be second nature to our row crop farmers. So we're going to have potentially 60 tons of industrial hemp seed out there in fields, releasing pollen with nowhere to go at the end of this season. And what are the rest of us to do with that? What are the folks that are growing CBD? What are them? If you've been to any of our classes, you've heard me talk about this, this issue of drift before and how major of a problem it is and how it's causing lawsuits between growers, some of which I don't, I'm not entirely confident that there are any kind of, any kind of concessions. So Panda is talking about this new program. They are going to distribute this seed through a company out of Lubbock called Munson Seed and Grain. They say here that you can experiment with as little seed as you want, or you can experiment with up to 25 acres. And we have to do that to make sure Texas producers can participate is what they say here. And it's a first come, first serve basis. And their, their explanation is that this is a vehicle for producers to experiment with free seed, have access to essential planting information, as well as vital research that's ultimately going to go back to Panda Biotech. And they also say here that their decorticating equipment, which they're expecting to be fully online by the first half of next year, which I've said before, I think that is very optimistic, they say here that they will be entering into contracts with producers for the 2021 growing season. Once installation begins on the hemp gin, which they trademarked, by the way, which I thought was funny. Uh, yeah, a hemp gin trademark. But uh, this is what they're planning to do this year, and it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of challenges that creates on the marketplace. I know at least one person that I believe has a very strong opinion about this, and of course he joins us as our next guest. That's Dr. Calvin Trossel. Now, Dr. Trossel was recently named the head hemp researcher for Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Services. He has spent easily the last eight months learning everything he can about this plant to help put farmers in the right direction. And one thing that, that I personally really appreciate is Dr. Trossel's pragmatic insight on this crop. Dr. Trossel, can you hear me? Hi. There Hi, he Zach. Is. Yes. How are you, sir? I'm all right. Do you want me to start video or just do the audio only? The audio is perfect. You sound okay. great, by the way, but it could be my headphones. How are you okay. this evening? Pretty good. Uh, I shocked my family here uh, about a week ago. I shaved my beard off after 28 some years. <laughs> hey, at least you can grow one. Oh, goodness. Yeah, my wife had never seen me without one, so I was going to do it on April Fool's Day, but didn't get to it. But I just, you know, it was getting pretty gray. I, I told her, I said, I'm just kind of tired of looking at it. I want to do something different for a little while at least. I understand. I, I always tell tell people I suffer from PBF. You know what that is, right? 
PBF, um, something beard something. Perpetual baby face. Oh, okay. Well, there's some people wouldn't wouldn't mind trading you though. <laughs> I bet. So hey, um, look, thanks for joining us here tonight on uh, in the field and. I wanted to just kick off this conversation because there was a headline that came to me very recently that said that you just re recently received a promotion or maybe a, maybe just a title upgrade. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Uh, I think where it really would be, Zach, uh, expansion of duties, what Texas A&M AgriLife Extension does with many of our major crops across the state is we have one individual. This could be cotton. It could be wheat and small grains corn and sorghum is combined. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, a couple other crops or some topics that are designated to be the kind of the lead uh, educator, the lead coordinator within the agency for programs on different crops. And uh, I walked out of my uh, performance review about two weeks ago with a request to consider being a new uh, extension specialist for Texas. So really, Zach, uh, in many ways, and, and for Texas hemp grower members, uh, nothing different than what I've already been doing. Uh, no pay increase. <laughs> job, I was going to ask you, did you negotiate? <laughs> job security, perhaps, especially with, as you can imagine, what's going to happen with state budgets here going forward. But uh, the uh, my goals uh, is just to continue to coordinate uh, and work with uh, people within our agency, people external to our agency like yourself to help continue to develop information and resources uh, and get those uh, two people across the state. And then I already I have a similar duty for Sunflower I have for about 10 years, but that's a very minor uh, role here in, in Texas. It's an it's a important one for me. But uh, as you know, and I've learned uh, like myself, two people that have learned a heck of a lot about hemp and there's probably there's probably more yet to learn than what we've already learned and so uh, i'm right there with you and your members uh, other folks across the state uh trying to learn as much as we can well and you're doing a great job at it because back whenever we were visiting farms last year y'all were also organizing trips to go up into new mexico and colorado and maybe even some other areas would you mind just kind of sharing with us some of the things that you saw and, and some of the farms you visited in those areas? Sure, Zach. Uh, you know, and, and some of my exposure really, and even a lot of my educational program has to date been more oriented towards maybe mid-size and larger scale farming. I suppose to some extent that reflects my comfort level because that's what I do. But uh, in those three trips to each New Mexico and Colorado, uh, we saw a variety of production uh, from your more hand-oriented operations, uh, small scale, uh, up to a couple of producers. Uh, I guess I know of five producers, uh, four of them I've met, uh, that had last year anywhere from 1,000 to 3,200 acres of hemp. Now, a producer, Zach, at that scale here, let's not scare anybody. A producer at that scale's probably got very different objectives. And <clears throat> I think we saw that there's, of course, in a lot of agriculture, there's an effort to reach an economy of scale that might be more efficient, that may or may not be possible. I think it depends on your goals. The, the smaller acre <clears throat> producer in the one acre range, five acre range, maybe up to 10 uh, 
mostly a hand harvested or a hand managed type operation. I think an, an individual like that's going to have a different goal and that they're probably growing for a higher percentage CB. If I understand Zach, uh, as of now, the best we know that smokable hemp where, where we don't have any refinement from, of CBD, for example, from the material, smokable hemp is currently, is, it is or is not something that is coming to Texas. Well, I tell you what, if it's not, there's probably a lawsuit coming to Texas. Wait, what? I, yeah, so, you know, that's one of those gray areas right now. Okay. Uh, I believe we're still waiting on Department of State Health Services to make some clarifications. And so, yeah. you know, we're, we're obviously watching that very closely. I believe I learned just this morning that it looks like they will have a 30-day comment period that could be starting sometime next week, possibly. So I think that uh, we'll learn more about that. But anyway, as far as the, the visits in Colorado, uh, you know, I, here's the situation Texas A&M and our ag program is in. Uh, we had zero people within our agency that had prior experience with hemp. And so that, that's a big challenge to overcome. And this is why I'm very keen about growing hemp myself this year for the first time. So uh, here at the Lubbock station, uh, on the north side of Lubbock, I'll have plants within a few hundred yards of my office. I can go look at them twice a week or however often I want to. I imagine myself putting little tags on the branches, uh, different portions of the coal and taking a picture and putting a little label on that tag and coming back seven days later and taking that picture on a, on a seven day sequence so I can get a better feel for how these plants grow. But uh, I think uh, one of the things that I've seen uh, that we see in Colorado is there is a little bit more of, of a driver on the cannabinoid production for hemp that's going to enfold the use of straight run seed for large scale farming. And I think some of that's driven by the, the effort to try to get costs down so that uh, large scale farmers and their goals can, can go to a fully mechanized operation. Uh, and again, no, I think uh, one thing that has to happen for them is they've got to have someone that's willing to work with extraction on a little bit lower percent material. So, you know, an extractor would rather extract 10 or 12% CBD material instead of six because they can get more effort from their equipment and so forth, more yield. Uh, now, if, if they're doing the extraction as a service, then they're going to charge accordingly. Uh, if they buy the crop and own it, then that, that's reflected in the price. Uh, but I think, too, here in Texas for 2020, it seems like a quite a number of people have backed off some of the plantings from this year than what we originally thought might occur. And I think a lot of that comes back to price. And And uh, I've been using Pan Exchange to kind of follow the national pricing, but they now have a subscription service. And so I don't have access to that right now. I haven't decided to spend $495 for an annual mm, uh, upgrade on, on their information. But uh you know, I think a lot of the a lot of the CBD that will make uh, will meet the demand for the 2020 CBD market has already been grown. It's in warehouses, uh, unprocessed, at least to some extent. Right, right. Let me ask you something that you just touched on there for a second, which is that you're going to have some plants that you're growing there uh, up around your office. Is 
my understanding is that y'all are actually planning a series of variety trials, uh, at least in three locations. Is that correct? Uh, looks like it will be four. In fact, I will. I just got started. We finally got the last of our paperwork through the Office of General Counsel at Texas A&M. And in fact, you're on my list to get that sent to sometime between tonight and maybe midday tomorrow. But Texas A&M, we are going to offer a, a fee-based uh, public uh, independent trial for varieties that will be for fiber, for grain, and for cannabinoids. And uh, actually four locations, we're not going to try to test in South Texas for 2020. That would be like Corpus Christi or West Laco in the lower Rio Grande Valley. But our target sites with our collaborators are College Station uh, close to main campus. And there's an experimental field for Texas A&M Commerce. I have a colleague uh, with Texas A&M AgriLife Research named Russell Sutton that oversees that uh, location. He's the cooperator there. And then San Angelo, and then here, actually not right at Lubbock, the, the variety trial will be located at Plainview, which is about 40 miles. We have an experimental field at Plainview on uh, drip irrigation, and, and my supervisors have requested that we focus on that location for the variety trials. But So the information uh, companies that are interested in seeing their material tested in Texas, uh, we, we do this for corn, sorghum, or grain sorghum, soybeans, uh, sunflower. Uh, we have an official program for, for this testing. It's been self-sustaining for, well, probably since the 1960s. But this is how we have the opportunity to work with companies, but generate that all-important independent information uh, and make this all available uh, to uh, prospective growers, existing growers across the state. Uh, it's, Zach, it's, it's a little, I've done this with this program for a number of crops, a little bit more effort because of the THC testing and so forth. Uh, I have uh, concerns about what if we have trouble with the smaller seed getting, getting a stand established at some of our locations. We'll have to work through that. But uh, the, the, the long-term goal is, is that we can develop this program, and we're especially interested in companies that, our, our intent upon offering certified varieties, uh, certified by Texas Department of Agriculture in the future. And I think our testing program makes that point that that's a priority for us, which indirectly really is all about seed quality. And uh, the, the trial protocols, Zach, as we have them now, we're, we're emphasizing uh, protocols or trials that start from seed. Uh, if someone wants to uh, talk about or look at possibly starting with clones or transplants. We will figure out how to do that and, and accommodate them. But uh, I think in, within two years, uh, I've have felt for a couple of months, I feel no differently now, that I think we're going to see some improvement, some much needed improvement in seed quality uh, going forward. And as we may have some producers, or I'm sorry, some seed companies come forward, uh, Sunbelt Hemp, and Georgia is the first one that appears to have uh, their plans in place to move forward to eventually offer uh, certified seed here in Texas. I think that will mean two things for growers. We probably will have more confidence about the purity of the genetics. And secondly, a company selling certified seed has some pride involved in selling good high quality seed. And I think that will benefit everybody whether they're growing uh, in a greenhouse or an acre or hundreds of acres. And so, 
one of the questions that I had for you is this Panda Biotech that has been playing with the news about building a facility up around the Lubbock area, possibly maybe in the High Plains. Yes. Now they're talking about giving out 60 tons of industrial hemp seed to farmers for free. Would love to hear your thoughts on all that. Well, I think Panda, you know, part of the, the issue that Panda had to back up on a little bit and excuse the, the, the beeps there, the notifications <laughs> coming through on my computer. Uh, the, the one bottleneck that Panda Biotech ran into is apparently the building that they had the agreement on here in Northwest Lubbock County was not up to, to standards in terms of uh, uh, needed repairs and so forth. And so unfortunately that uh, they've had to restart uh, the search. They have, from what I understand, some other possibilities have not said specifically where that at. I think it's most likely the High Plains region, which I think is a plus because that would keep them in the area where at least starting up that we have access to irrigation. Uh, as far as the, the seed, my understanding through one of the other hemp organizations here is that there was a bankruptcy of a, a hemp fiber group in Kentucky and so it sounds like the seed is probably coming from that operation in Kentucky. Uh, if you read the agreement uh, or, or the statement, it, it appears that there's not a buyback opportunity. That is, Correct. they're just simply looking to, for producers to grow an acre or maybe they want to do a couple acres. I can't imagine that a farmer would want to plant very many, but uh, at least an opportunity for some folks to to get a feel for how the crop grows. Maybe that helps them make a decision about if this is something they would wanna go forward with. And uh, the 60 tons, uh, let's see, I calculated uh, how many acres that would actually plant. And it's, a, it's, a, it's several thousand. I don't, I don't know that there would be that much planted or even a reason to. But uh, as we go forward and we see what Panda Biotech's plans are in terms of actually getting a processing facility in place, that's gonna be key for producers. They're gonna wanna see uh, walls in a building and, and hear about equipment uh, being on its way to wherever that location would be. And so in, in all earnesty, really, I think uh, the, this, the seed giveaway is just something to maybe establish some interest, develop some interest in 2020, really with 2021 being the goal, uh, as are some other groups that are also interested in hemp here in the Texas High Plains. Uh, things have just come together more slowly than we expected. And so I think 2021 is there, but uh, there's some other growers apart from Panda Biotech that uh, have also said they're gonna grow small acreages of hemp fiber this year. A lot of the Texas High Plains established farmers are uh, I would say as much, if not more, interested long-term in fiber. Uh, I think part of that, Zach, is they're not sure they want to ride the the ups and downs of the cannabinoid market if it, if it becomes uh, as something that is just regularly volatile. The fiber market probably is a little bit more uh, plain vanilla, and maybe they like plain vanilla, but uh, uh, with Panda Biotech, uh, you know, with them as, as with anyone else that's interested in making an effort on hemp in Texas, uh, AgriLife will try to help, you know, provide the information, the advice that we can as best we can and, and come alongside 
to, to try to help make things go a little bit better. And, and I'm sure that their efforts will continue to generate questions uh, to me, to you, and so forth. What do you think about Panda Biotech? And um, we will know more going forward. I have met with some of their staff uh, on their visits to Lubbock. And uh, I think in general, there, there is a sense that there's uh, a fairly good feeling. Some of my other industry colleagues here in the Texas High Plains have also gotten to visit with Panda Biotech here recently uh, and, and felt good about the visit and at least more comfortable with their plans going forward. But I think the fiber market, uh, Zach, in, in Texas, uh, you could pick a number somewhere between, oh, a lot of farmers in, in Texas High Plains would think in terms of maybe a minimum of 30 acres because that's a quarter of a center pivot circle that I think maybe a 30 acres might be in the range of what a fiber grower would consider as a minimum number of acres if they're going to go into the fiber market. I don't think it's likely that someone on a small scale probably would be interested or find a willing partner at such a small scale. Now, one market that I've always looked at as something that our growers, particularly in the high plains, could probably get into would be the grain market. And I'm wondering, um, what has your research shown you on the hemp grain, you know, the, the grocery store shelf generally recognized as safe food ingredient? And, and are y'all going to be working on that in your variety trials as well? We do have, uh, that's one of the three components of our variety trials is to uh, offer the opportunity to test grain varieties. And uh, I think this is probably the one that at the moment there's the least amount of interest in Texas. I, I think nationally, the grain market in hemp is probably only a couple thousand acres. It's a very small sliver of the pie, maybe uh, possibly one or two percent. But uh, with some of the, the workshops that I've participated in around the state, we have had folks inquire about grain. And I think there might be uh, some possibilities there. I'm thinking of an individual I visited with in Brazos County uh, near Bryan College Station back in January. Their interest was, uh, is what about the specialty food market from, from uh, some of our uh, small food companies, uh, craft boutique type stores in Texas, especially. Uh, you know, here's a motto that I think is kind of neat. I've always liked it. Texas born, Texas bred, B-R-E-A-D. That's, oh. uh, <laughs> that's, that's our popular uh, Mrs. Baird's logo. And I think there's some companies, and I've encountered this on other things like malt barley for uh, brewing and so forth. There's companies here in Texas that would like to source as much of their ingredients as they can from Texas. And so uh, with visions of a Go Texan label or some other types of things. And so I could see some, some grain production uh, on, on a scale of maybe in the five to 10 acres, uh, uh, just depends on what a potential buyer might be interested, how much. Uh, the hemp grain, uh, a favorable fatty acid ratio for omega fatty acids. And uh, so you've got hemp hearts, uh, that's a nice way to add some nutrition to your diet. And then, of course, uh, some of that grain market uh, could potentially be for crushing for hemp seed oil. And uh, I'm not really sure what, what some of the, the best uses of hemp seed oil are. I'm sure there are some traits that those, uh, that, that oil is, is favorable for. There may be some 
individuals in the hemp, uh, in like in the CBD market, have a preference for using hemp seed oil as their carrier for some of their CBD products. So one of the questions that we got from one of our members uh, here is what, what should a grower do to work around poor soil texture like heavy clay and sand rather than that nice, you know, silty, sandy loam that hemp likes? How would you recommend a farmer work, work through that challenge? Well, I think really, Zach, your best bet is, is that uh, you need to look for the sandier or, or the more loamy portions of a field. You know, if, if you had a larger field that was, say, 80 acres, since you know, it's quite often that the soil texture is not the same across the field. Now, over, over in your area in Central Texas, think of down around Waco and Temple and Colleen and kind of, oh, there's kind of a, a lens of, of that heavy, uh, heavy shrink swell clay that kind of runs from Central Texas and curves off to the Northeast. Uh, I, I will be interested to hear from some growers that try to grow on that type of soil to see what they come up with. Uh, if you've got a field that has a little bit of slope to it, uh, those soils don't drain as well. And so, you know, maybe it might even be more important to say, let's avoid the low, any low spots and maybe be up on, on a, towards a knoll or something, a little bit of a high area so that you don't have worries about water ponding on that soil. Uh, it's not that hemp can't grow on, on those heavier soils, but that's kind of the extreme heavy clay soils, uh, before I came to Lubbock, I worked at Beaumont. Now that's another area of Texas, very heavy clay soils. So that's why they grow rice there because they can flood their fields and, it, and the water doesn't drain out through the soil. Uh, and so there, there could be a fit for hemp in some of those areas, but I would say that would be more, more of an impetus to start small. And uh, again, if, if you've got a sizable acreage that you have a choice, then we would try to find uh, the more loamy less clay portion of that uh, landscape. And if that's a question that a, a prospective grower is, is concerned about, then really I think uh, probably one, one uh, local entity that would be helpful in that was all of our county offices in, or all of our counties in Texas uh, with, with rare exception have a USDA NRCS, that's Natural Resource Conservation Service office and so there's usually one or two people in there that are very familiar with soils uh, throughout the county that they're located in and they would be an example of an individual that could help uh, identify what might be the the less uh, the less heavy clay area within the landscape if a, if a producer is not sure what they're looking at. That's a great tip. Hey let me ask you about this uh, I guess you've got some colleagues over there around the the Brian location for A&M that has developed this new technology that's able to detect hemp from marijuana. What have you heard about this? Well, about all I've really followed on that is I've seen a news release, which I've read. Uh, I think part of their interest was to develop something that could be useful to law enforcement. And maybe one of those instruments could be located in each county. So, you know, maybe not that it would be in the trunk of a DPS trooper's car, but maybe there's one that they could get a hold of if they needed to. And uh, Zach, I, I earnestly haven't, I really haven't paid too 
attention. I scanned the news release, I believe it was a couple of months ago, and I can't really speak to it much further than that. But uh, I do know that across Texas, uh, in some counties, probably more than others, there is a, a concern, uh, if not a worry, about how law enforcement is going to deal with him. Uh, because, uh, you know, really, other than how hemp might be planted, uh, there's not really any ready evidence to indicate just through visual observations that you're looking at a plant that could be marijuana or one that's being grown for CBD or CBG. You know, if, if you're looking at plants that are being grown for grain or fiber, they're probably in a very different planting uh, situation, and you probably have a pretty good uh, indication there. But... <laughs> I had an undersheriff from one of the Texas Panhandle counties says, well, what, what if you stop somebody and they got a Ziploc bag sitting on their front seat and they tell or you figure out it's hemp? And I said, how are you going to tell what it is? And I said, well, here's the first thing. If it's hemp, what you got to do is ask them for a copy of their license. And if they have something like that with them, they're supposed to have their license and if they don't have that then you're obviously more suspicious that it might be marijuana but uh, as far as the equipment at A&M uh, uh, I'm a little bit of a, a of a blank page there Zach in terms of what that equipment might be used going forward uh, or if they're in any sort of a commercialization agreement uh, that's possible I have heard colleagues mention it but uh, uh, I'm, I'm kind of still out stuck in the field trying to think about things out there rather than than the equipment and so forth like that so one of the things that I wanted to ask was on your field uh, trials, your variety trials, are y'all going to do any kind of field days this summer? Anything, any type of events? Hopefully this virus doesn't keep us all indoors all summer. So is there any plans to invite people out to the trials and do any kind of hands-on? I would, I would certainly anticipate that uh, as we're able to, that we will have some type of a field educational program at each site, Zach. I think that's very important. Uh, we need we need to be able to get people in to see these things, uh, and I think there's several purposes. There's there's one there's the information that uh, you know we would look at those trials before we may have very much data collected. We probably uh, there's because of the the need to schedule something at a certain time and and have that advanced. Uh, it's possible that we would have those scheduled even before we might take the 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 sam the official sampling for THC within 15 days of harvest we would project about when the right time would be for that but uh, and also I think it's to to reassure uh, growers and other folks in the public that uh, there there is uh, somebody who's working on some of these things to help to, to develop information that they can use grow and um, you know, I think I think the interest in those trials will be a lot more than just people who grow. I think there's going to be a curiosity factor, but uh, absolutely uh, getting people together. Uh, and I think there's even a possibility. I've got a young technician now that sh I'm finding out that Becca's pretty handy with uh, some of the video audio types of things. And I actually think that we might be able to do some live things from some of our plots, at least here at Plainview to give people some mid-season updates so they can, we can kind of track the growth of the plants as we see them, how they're developing, what we're looking for, what we're watching, and what we anticipate going forward. It's going to be an exciting year, and uh, sounds like you all have a full plate on your hands. Well, Dr. Trossel, I really appreciate you joining me today for uh, In the Field, and uh, just that valuable insight is is 
something that I really appreciate. And I just, I always appreciated your level-headed approach to this subject. And so um, if, if folks maybe wanted to learn more about some of the research that's going on at A&M, how could they find that? Well, I guess uh, the first thing, and you know, again, right now we're still kind of in the educational phase as far as our, our information is, but if you just type in Texas A&M AgriLife Hemp, then you'll find the main webpage, and then likewise, uh, you can type Calvin Trossel in the website, and you'll come up with my phone number and email if they'd like to chat or have got a question. And then uh, uh, I, too, uh, I, I guess, Zach, the word I've used for 2020 is I'm very keen on growing hemp. I, I don't, I've avoided the word excited. I'm like, sometimes I'm like, oh, man, what did I get myself into? <laughs> but uh, that's what I'm here for is uh, I have felt this way on other crops and give me a couple years. I've learned a bunch. Uh, I think about uh, when I came to Lubbock in 1999 to start working, I had seen two peanut fields in my life. And that was about a third of my job description here in Lubbock. And within a couple of years, uh, I felt very confident that I'd learned a lot about hemp. Uh, certainly could be a, a partner in being an asset to growers. And I'm, I'm shooting for the same level of, of knowledge and, and, and being able to help uh, folks across Texas as they would grow hemp. Well, we expect you to be a strong partner in that endeavor. So thank you for joining us tonight. Zach, my commending, I uh, commend you as well for all the effort that you've put into this and the learning that you've done. I thank, I thank you for that as well. Much appreciated. Have a good evening. And that was Dr. Calvin Trossel of Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service joining us here on the third episode of In the Field. And with all of that quality information on field approach, and how we should approach variety trials and what we should watch for in the field this year. Absolutely none of that will matter without a high-grade seed. And what better company to deliver that than high-grade hemp seed out of Longmont, Colorado, a company that has been great to Texas, to Texas growers, and really to the entire industry. And I'm honored and, and proud today to be joined in our last segment by Adrian Zelski, managing partner of HGH Seeds. Adrian, how's the weather up there in Colorado right now? Hey, Zach. Um, it's actually really beautiful. It's uh, sunset time, and it was uh, in the upper 70s today. So I'll tell you what, Colorado is really, really a beautiful everybody's, state. Yeah, everybody's out on their tractors, getting the fields ready out in uh, where I live in the Front Range, and... Uh, Feels like the hemp season's getting primed up. I feel like a kind of new energy the past couple of days, to be honest. Well, and of course, Exciting. of course, HGH plays a huge role in the whole entire industry. Whenever I went up into Colorado anyway and visited farms myself, I'm pretty sure every farm I went to was either growing cherry wine or some variation on it or something else from your catalog. Can you just kind of talk to me about your company's history in the hemp game and even genetics as a whole? Sure thing. Yeah. So uh, high-grade hemp seed, as uh, we go by today in 2020, um, was originated by our founder, Bodie Urban, back in the early 2000s when he was breeding for other cannabis strains. He had an idea to breed down THC, much like an alcohol-free uh, beer, and get the concept of a strain that could, you know, be smoked by people and not get the the, the THC based high. So 
he was working on that stuff and uh, a couple of breeders around the country were sharing their information through networks and through uh, the internet and, you know, just breeders in general. And 2014 uh, farm bill passed and it had the 0.3 threshold. And it turned out that, you know, uh, Bodie's strain of cherry wine was ready to be put into the field. So he did a 10 acre farm that year. Uh, the first year it was available and uh, in Colorado and kind of started, you know, a whole thing that became a really large part of the industry as we know it in Colorado and then nationwide. So uh, it was, the original strain was the cherry wine that Bodie actually coined as he was developing it with other people. And then he also built in the berry blossom and his two foundation pieces. So he's the original geneticist behind cherry wine. So when you hear about that all over the country and other people are saying that they have cherry wine and they made cherry wine, well, you know, usually it can come back to the origin story of Bodie and what he would later name the company HGH Seed. And so um, high-grade hemp seed basically is the originator of those strains, plus Merlot, Red Bordeaux, Chardonnay, anything with the wine name pretty much, and then also had a part in the wife and trophy wife development. So there's a lot of lineage that goes with uh, high-grade that's really an honor to work with, and it gives us a lot of validity to, you know, we have five years of learning underneath our belt, and we've all been, you know, through the ups and downs of the hemp industry with the farms, with the seed producers, with the, you know, processors, with the big vertically integrated companies, all of them. We've seen a lot of the good and bad, and, and, and what, what HG now stands for is kind of, you know, we're here as a foundation piece, and we want to grow with a lot of great people and great farmers and great companies. So it's a beautiful thing to be a part of HG, and I'm very thankful. Now, if anybody has their finger on the pulse of this industry, it would be a guy like yourself with a company like HGH. What are you seeing out there, not just in Texas, but in other states, as far as that ratio of growing CBD versus CBG? What are we seeing as far as, are we seeing more CBD in fields this year or more CBG? You know, um, as a broad stroke, I would say you're seeing a lot of CBG for sure. It's a very exciting crop that's very, um, you know, it still has a higher value in a lot of the marketplace that has been developed. Big question is, is there a big enough marketplace? CBD had the Charlotte's Web moment and also had a lot of anecdotal evidence going into play that it was really helping people with epilepsy, anxiety, other, other you know, medical issues. So, you know, CTE and, and the things that were getting very popular at the time in both sports and, um, you know, medical fields, you know, CBG doesn't have that track record yet. So you got to wonder if it's going to have the same output, but here's the good part. CBG is the mother molecule. And if science continues, which it always does, then we will create a pathway to have CBG create all kinds of cannabinoids. And also CBG will have its own benefit because it has bits and pieces of every cannabinoid in it. So, I mean, CBG is exciting. I, I can't, I can't downplay that at all. So I would say CBG has stepped in to probably where CBD was a couple of years ago, I would say in, in quantities and productivity. So, and you're still going to see the value for the farmer be a little bit higher, but so that, so are the seed prices, so are the extraction processes. So you just have to, know your marketplace. Now with CBG, one of the great things is, is our strain Matterhorn, for instance, that we have worked with a Swiss geneticist, it's one of the stable ones. And if that is the case, then you're not going to come close to the 0.3 threshold. So essentially CBG is a very safe play and in, in the smokable market, it will have a lot of uh, pathways to use in 
and products and everything where CBD will be more strict because of the THC threshold. But CBDs, I mean, CBD, I think a lot of people will return to because there's a marketplace and it's also just a very, you know, it's a very, um, it, it can be used very, you know, abundantly if, if this thing's developed correctly. I think CBD is, is in the, you know, numbers with, with, with vitamin C and stuff like that in the long run when the FDA gets approval. So, you know, there's a little bit of back and forth and there's a lot of curiosity about both. And I think CBG is an exciting new one. And, uh, I definitely recommend people growing it. I think it's going to be a great crop for 2020. How competitive does Texas look this year compared to other states? You know, Texas um, was one of my focal points for the year. And, uh, you know, the COVID thing kind of stopped me from being there as much as I wanted to be. But in my mind, you've got California uh, coming on full time this year. You've got Texas and Florida coming on board, three of the biggest uh, agriculture states in the country. And there's going to be a big shift. I think it's also smart for a lot of Texans to take it slow because the permits didn't come out until a couple weeks ago. Um, when we were talking to people in October about it, it was, hey, let's get up and running in February and go for it to the highest level. Well, this seems to be a little bit more of a metered step, but I think it's a good thing. And I think that Texas is going to be one of the top five states in the country uh, for cannabinoid hemp. And then also going to come right on the backside with uh, industrial hemp for, you know, cotton replacement or textiles or, or fuel, fiber, all those things in between. Y'all heard it from the chief beef himself. Texas is going to be in the top five. Adrian, I really no, appreciate absolutely. you joining us here uh, today on the show. And of course, we've got your website there, but do you want to go ahead and tell us how we can find the information on you? Yeah, sure thing. Um, you know, we've got High Grade Hemp Seed, every social media uh, outlet. It'll either be High Grade Hemp Seed or HGH Seed Inc. And we have a good traction on our, you know, um, website and our places, you know, where we, you know, really try to put out our information with all our production partners, all our sales reps. We're trying to give out consistent information and so just check out highgradehempseed.com, highgradehempseed uh, on everything, um, you know, internet wise, and then talk to people and see what they think and see what they feel. And, you know, if there's any good and, and, and feedback and you want to talk to us, like hit us up at info at highgradehempseed.com. Well, thanks for joining me tonight, Adrian, on this call. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. You too, man. You're doing a great job, Zach. Thank you, Texas. And thank, thank you, Texas Hemp Growers. Really appreciate you. Very cool. Thank you. And right. so that was Adrian Zelski of High Grade Hemp Seed joining us there on In the Field. Of course, you can visit them online at High Grade Hemp Seed com where they have all their varieties available and one of the things that's very exciting is that next week we're actually going to be joined by Bodie Urban president of high grade hemp seed and so that is actually going to be our guest for next Tuesday's episode so we're going to be talking to one of the biggest names in hemp genetics on In the Field, which if you know anything about Bodie, you know that he's a tough guy to get on to any kind of interview. And so we were able to get that secured for next Tuesday. I hope you'll join me when that happens because he's such a big name and is behind some of those classics like Cherry Wine and Trophy Wife. And so we'll be starting that episode at 7 p.m. Central Time next Tuesday, May 5th. And you don't want to miss that one because it will be an awesome episode. And so 
As always, we have reached here the end of our episode, and I want to thank you for joining me this evening. Of course, you can find episodes of In the Field on our website at hemptx.org. Subscribe to our show on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. And of course, don't forget to become a Texas Hemp Growers member through our website. It's just $79 a year, but you gain access to an unmatched support team and join almost 200 growers who have come together in just six months. This has been your host, Zachary Maxwell. And until next time, happy hemping, y'all. This episode is sponsored by High Grade Hemp Seed. For the best in hemp seed genetics, including the ready-to-ship Matterhorn CBG, visit HighGradeHempSeed.com.